James is coming to read our scripture for us this morning. Our scripture comes out of the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verses 15 through 23. If you would like to follow along on your, uh, in your own Bibles or there uh, on our screens, our, our scripture reading will be there as well. Again, 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verses 15 through 23. And Nathan departed unto his own house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted, and went in, and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose, and went to him, to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth, and washed and anointed himself, and changed his apparel, and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou did fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but when the child was dead, thou did rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this your word and make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life and now god may the may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you O god our redeemer through christ our lord we pray amen amen you may be seated there is an order to life there's an order to life you're, you're, you're born, you're born you, uh, you grow, you survive your teenage years, uh, you make it through and, and try to figure life out in your early adulthood, and, and, then, and then you get married, and, and then you have a child, and, 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 you, and you work for years, and you finally retire, and, and you grow old, and, and then you die. That's the, that's the order of life, but sometimes things happen out of order. Things happen out of order. Sometimes uh, teenagers get pregnant and they have children before marriage. Sometimes, sometimes people don't get married. Sometimes people can't have children. Sometimes you retire at an early age. Sometimes, sometimes death even comes out of order. Sometimes young people die. I will tell you that this is the most difficult sermon in this series up to this point. 
we are looking at um, uh, we're looking at how God is with us in the valley, in the valley of the shadow of death. That God is always with us. And over the last couple of weeks, we have we have looked at the grieving process. We have we have we have we've tried to begin to deal with our own mortality. Uh, there are still sheets out on out in the narthex for you to take home when it comes to either an advanced directive for you to fill out or uh, for you to fill out any of the details about your own funeral. And I would encourage each of you to take one of those sheets and to fill one of those out. That will be one of the best, one of the greatest gifts that you could give your family uh, to fill out one of those sheets and let them know where you have them, whether it's in a lockbox there at home or whether it's in a safe deposit box or simply give it to one of your children uh, that you know will be responsible when you die uh, so that they won't have to think about some of the details. One of the things that I've seen families go through in the death of a parent or grandparent is that they, they have to go back and they have to look to see, now, when exactly did they graduate high school? Uh, what, what, was their, um, what was their status when they retired from the military? Or where, where did they work? I don't remember how long dad worked at that factory. Well, if you put those details down, uh, that will just be another detail that they will not have to worry about and have to think about um, when after you die, it will be an incredible gift that you will be able to leave to your families. Also, I would encourage you to put down any special scriptures, things that mean a lot to you. Even I have even uh, found a number of folks uh, write poetry and, and write things. Uh, leave those for your family as well. It's, those are so very special, uh, not only to your family, but also to your friends that will be attending uh, your funeral service. But then also, also last week, we, we looked to see how not just to deal with our own mortality, but how to deal with the death of our friends and how, how to reach out to others uh, who are experiencing death. And today, today we are, we are looking at death out of order. Death out of order. And a death out of order is incredibly, incredibly difficult and I will also say that this passage of Scripture that James read for us is incredibly, incredibly difficult. There are a number of things about this passage of Scripture that just seem wrong. They just, they, there, there are a number of things that seem like this is not how things work out. And there are a number of things that David did, and we just shake our head and say, how in the world could you act like that? There are a number of difficult things in this passage. Let me, let me catch you up where we are in the life of David. David had, had been anointed as the king of Israel to this point, and he had, he had had many, many conquests. In fact, he was an incredibly successful king of Israel uh, in this united kingdom. Both the northern tribes and the southern tribes, they all united under under the kingship of David, and he was an incredibly popular king. He had been incredibly popular even since he was a young little boy when, when this young little boy, David, defeated the giant Goliath. People had heard about his exploits when he was a young boy and all of the battles that he had led as a young man, and now he was on the throne. And one day, one day he was at the top of uh, of the palace, and he and he peered down over over the city, and he saw this beautiful woman bathing on her 
on the, on the roof of her house. That was, that was typically where the baths were on the roof of the house. Well, there have been, there've been lots of suggestions why David was up there. There has been lots of suggestions why Bathsheba was up there in the daytime that would allow someone to see her. But indeed, David saw her, and she was a beautiful woman. And so he summoned for her. And she had no choice but to come to King David. And he laid with her, and she became pregnant. Now, Bathsheba was married to a man named Uriah. When David found out about the pregnancy, he knew he knew something had to be done about this pregnancy. Because if with Uriah fighting on the fighting in the war on the very front lines, um, word would quickly come out not only to Uriah fighting on the front lines that King David had had an affair with his wife, but the entire nation of Israel would know about David's sin. And so he came up with a plan that he would cover up his sin. He called Uriah home from the front lines. And he believed that any red-blooded good soldier who came home to his wife after months and months of fighting on the front lines, in no doubt in David's mind he would spend a night with his wife. And so he summoned Uriah home from the front lines and said, you have been such an incredible warrior. Come and spend a night with your wife. But Uriah was faithful to the king. And he said, there's no way that I could, that I could ever spend a night with my wife. And so he spent the night at the front door of his home, never going in to see his wife. The next day, David asked for a report from his spies what had happened, and they reported that Uriah did not go in to be with his wife Bathsheba, but instead because he was in, uh, standing in solidarity with his, with his um, uh, fellow soldiers fighting on the front line, he did not spend the night. And so David came up with another plan that he, would, that he would get Uriah drunk with wine. Surely, surely a drunken soldier who had come home from the front lines, surely he wouldn't be able to resist his beautiful wife. And so he sent lots of alcohol that evening and Uriah became drunk with wine and he did the exact same thing on the second night. He did not go in to see his wife. Again, he was such a servant to the king. He was such a servant to his fellow soldiers that he could, not, he, could, he could not in good conscience spend a night with his wife when his fellow, when his fellow soldiers were out fighting on the front lines. David was crestfallen. He had no idea what to do next. So he came up with yet a third plan. And he decided that he would send Uriah back to the front lines. But when they had advanced soon enough, when they had advanced just enough, David sent a, a letter to the, to, the, to the commanders on the front line telling them to fall back and to leave Uriah there on his own. And so Uriah was there on the front lines fighting with his fellow soldiers. And then the, the word came to fall back. And everyone, all of the rest of the soldiers, they all fell back except Uriah. And sure enough, Uriah was killed there on the front lines. When word came back to David, well, he knew his plan had worked. And so he took Bathsheba, poor Bathsheba, who was mourning the loss of her husband, and David, at least publicly, people would have thought, oh, what a benevolent king. 
What a benevolent king that he, that he took this mourning woman who now had no one to care for her. And so David took her into his palace and he laid with her. And so then the pregnancy became public and everyone thought then that it was, well, it was an appropriate, it was an appropriate pregnancy. But God had other plans. He, God, uh, told all of the details of this story to Nathan the prophet. And so Nathan knew what had gone on. Nathan knew of David's sin of taking another man's wife as his own. Nathan knew of, uh, of David's sin of, of, of sending Uriah to the front lines and falling back and making sure that, that Uriah was killed on the front lines. And so Nathan came before David and he confronted him about his sin and he said, God's judgment is upon you. And then we have our scripture today. After that judgment was pronounced upon David, the young child, after Bathsheba had given birth, the young child became sick. And David was beside himself. He, he tore his clothes and threw ashes on his head as a sign of mourning and wailing and crying and sobbing, shouting so much in his torment and pain that his, that his aides were afraid to even go in and see him. And then finally, the young boy died after seven days. And they were afraid if David was carrying on this much, we can only begin to imagine what his response will be when he finds out that his son has, has died. And so they finally mustered up the courage to go in and tell him that the child had died. And after David heard that his child had died, he, well, he shook off the dust and the and the ashes from his clothes. He put on new clothes. He put on oil on his hair and slicked back his hair and kind of brushed himself off. And they said, how, 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 could you, how could you act like this? And you heard David's response that makes us so very uncomfortable. Well, I thought maybe if I mourned loudly enough, God might relent and let the child, uh, let the child live. But now that the child's dead, there's nothing really I can do. And then immediately, in verse 24, we pick up the story. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went in to her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon, King Solomon. We struggle with this scripture, to say the least. We struggle with this, with this scripture because it appears as though God made this child to be sick and even that God made this child to die. And as Methodists and as Wesleyans, we would not necessarily affirm that. We don't believe that God causes those tragedies to happen. But we do know as well that sometimes God does discipline His children. And God does judge his, even his children. We struggle with a callousness that, 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 that David seemed to be mourning, but then ultimately it seemed like it was just for show. We struggle with that part of the scripture. We struggle with that part of the scripture that after the child has died, David kind of immediately kind of springs back to life and slicks back his hair, dusts himself off, and gets back into life. 
We struggle with it because that's not our experience of things. When a child dies, you can't just simply slick back your hair and dust yourself off and and get back to life. That's not how it works at all. Death out of order is so very difficult. Death out of order is so very difficult. One of the reasons that death out of order is so very difficult is because oftentimes, in fact, most of the time when there is a death out of order, meaning when a child dies or when a grandchild dies or when a niece or nephew dies or when a, a young co-worker dies, it happens when there is little warning. Oftentimes it is an accident. 40% of teenagers who die die because of an automobile accident. And they are tragic, to say the least. There are drownings. There are SIDS. There are birth defects. There are complications and pregnancies. There are premature births. And there are miscarriages. And throughout my time, almost 23 years of being a pastor, I have presided over multiple funerals just like that. I'll never forget the very first infant funeral that I presided over. It was an incredible, an incredible tragedy. It was in a very small community. In fact, this community, there was about 15 homes, 15 homes in this small community. And there was the church. The church was the community, was the community. In fact, in this church, they had actually purchased the old school building and they uh, tore down the old school building and across the street from the church they they built a fellowship hall the church this Methodist church was the community and right behind right behind the church in in one of the 15 homes or so that was in that small community there was a young couple that lived it was a trailer house uh, it was in really, really rough shape. We knew that uh, the, the young man who lived in that house, he had been around for a long time, and he had always been known as a troublemaker. He was always, always in trouble, always, always being picked up by the police, always struggling with drug addictions. And we found out that he had a young lady living with him. And, and over, over the wintertime, we recognized that there was no skirting around that trailer house. And so the church came along and, and we put some uh, insulation a, a, around, the bottom of that, a, a, around the bottom of that trailer house. And we, we tried to take care of that young, struggling couple. I got a phone call from the funeral home director and told me that their child had died child was about two months old and they didn't explain what had happened but they said that the child had died I had been a pastor for about four years I was 30 years old and had small children of my own and it was a difficult day I presided over the funerals of other infants I have presided over the funeral of young family members, my own family members, my wife's family members. I presided over the services of, of young teenagers who were killed in automobile accidents. I have, I have uh, presided over the funerals of, of uh, Sunday school classmates of mine who, who died tragically. 
One of the things that, again, that makes these deaths so very difficult is that we don't have a chance to say the things that we want to be able to say. Do you remember last week when I talked about those four things? Those four things that comes from, from the book that entitled Four Things. The book was written by, a, uh, by um, a hospice doctor and chaplain. And the four things, do you remember what they were? The four things that we always, that we need to say. We need to say, I'm sorry. We need to tell our, our loved ones, I'm sorry. We need to say, we need to say um, uh, I forgive you. I forgive you. We need to say, thank you. And we need to say, I love you. And so we, we recognize that when, there is a, when there's a death out of order, typically we have not had the opportunity to say those things. When, when we know that it's an older adult, um, especially an older adult who is, who is in poor health, we'll make sure that we go out of our way to say those, those four things. Friends, I, I, would, I would encourage you to say those four things, not only to those who are older than you, but I would also encourage you to say those things to your children and, and to your grandchildren. Tell your children and, and grandchildren, I'm sorry. Tell them, I forgive you. Tell them, thank you. Tell them, I love you. Last week, I, I, I mentioned a friend of mine, Larry Masoner, who knew that he would probably not live to be uh, to a very old age. And, and sure enough, uh, Flash was his nickname. Uh, Flash died uh, 18 months ago, and he was in his mid-60s. And he was always very sure that every time he talked to me and others on the phone or in person, every single time, he said, I love you, man. <laughs> I love you. And that was an incredible lesson. That was an incredible lesson for me. One of the things about death out of order is that we often don't have that opportunity to say goodbye. In our book of worship, in our United Methodist book of worship, I often use the book of worship whenever I preside over funerals. Listen to this prayer, this prayer that they have given, to our church has given to us in the midst of an untimely or a tragic death. Listen to the words of this prayer. God of us all, we thank you for Christ's grace through which we pray to you in this dark hour. A life we love has been torn from us. Expectations the years once held have vanished. The mystery of death has stricken us. O God, you know the lives we live and the deaths we die, woven so strangely of purpose and of chance of reason and of the irrational, of strength and of frailty, of happiness and of pain. No mortal life you have made is without eternal meaning. No earthly fate is beyond your redeeming. What beautiful words. What beautiful words. And often, as I have prayed that prayer during a funeral, I have indeed prayed that God would bring comfort to those family members in attendance. You know, oftentimes as well, after the death of an untimely death, a, a death out of order, no one knows what to say. Did you notice in David's story that his friends and his co-workers and those surrounding him, they stayed away from him? Even when the child was sick, they stayed away from him. Part of it was that they were simply afraid of his tears. They had no idea what to do with his tears, but they stayed away from him. And then, after the child died, they also stayed away from him. 
And oftentimes we will do the same thing, especially when it is a death out of order. We'll just simply stay away because we don't know what to say. We don't know what to say. Some of us are afraid of tears. Some of us are afraid that we're going to, we're going to say the wrong things. And no doubt there are some times when people do say the wrong things. People will try to bring faith into the situation, and they'll often miss the mark. And they'll say things like this, well, God needed a little angel. Friends, don't say things like that. It doesn't bring comfort to the family at all. As if, as if God needed that child in heaven more than the parents needed that child here on earth. Well, you know, God just needed a little worker in heaven. I've heard that said. God needed her more than you did. I actually heard that one said to a family. God works in mysterious ways, we will say, as if it was God that caused the death of that child or that teenager or that young adult. Dear sisters and brothers, God does not cause the death of children or teenagers or young adults. No, indeed, it was that disease that caused that death. It was that, drunken, it was that drunken driver that caused that death. It was a tragic accident that caused that death. It was not God who caused that death. It's the will of God. Well, God never gives us more than what we can handle. If you have been through death out of order... I have no idea what that was. If you have been through death out of order, that you, you know that that is an absolute lie. That lie that God will not give us more than we can handle. Let me tell you, I have walked with families and just getting out of bed day after day after day is more than what they can handle. What I have found is that God will not give us more than what God can handle. There are seasons of my life. <laughs> Again, just getting out of bed is more than I can handle. No, it's not about how much we can handle. I also heard one of, I'll be honest, one of the most callous things that I've ever heard someone say to a, to a family who had lost a loved one. And it was a, a young child who was severely handicapped. I heard someone say, well, you know, it's nature's way of getting rid of mistakes. Well, there are more children where that came from. David acted that way. Well, you know, I guess I'll just have another one. <laughs> Let me tell you, no child will be able to replace the one who has died. No child will ever be able to do that. But there are some things. There are some things that can be helpful. Some things that can be said that are very, very helpful. The first is um, I would encourage you and we would encourage you to be present. That's the most important thing that you can do after the death of a loved one, especially a death out of order, just simply be present. Be present with that family member. Be present with those parents. Be present 
with that grandchild or that, that grandparent. 82% of those who uh, were polled after the death of a loved one said that they found great comfort when friends visited. 82% of people said they found great comfort when people and friends visited. Only 39% said they were comforted when a clergy came to visit. And what that means is that you're, you are way more important than I am after the death of a loved one. They recognize that, I mean, one of the reasons that clergy show up, I mean, because we love our, we love our flock, we, we love the people in our church, but ultimately, ultimately, um, ultimately we're paid, I mean, that's our job. But you show up to the, to the, to the houses of friends and, and loved ones because you love them, and they recognize that. They need you to be present. They need you to be present. The second thing that I would encourage you uh, to, to do is to talk about that deceased loved one and mention them by name. What I found, especially after the death of children, is that oftentimes we are reluctant to say that child's name. Now go ahead and say his name. Go ahead and say his name. Even years after the fact. Tell stories. I have found that especially, um, especially parents that have lost, that have lost children um, or, or even young adults, those parents really never, I mean, you never get over that. You absolutely never get over that. You will always remember them by name. You will always remember the, the date of their death. You will always remember their birthdays. You will always remember where they are buried. You will always remember it. And so if you have a friend who has lost a, lost a, a, a child uh, or a grandchild, uh, tell them stories about that child and grandchild, even years after the fact. Talk with them about how, how meaningful uh, it was to, to know that child or grandchild. And, and, if, and if you had a friend that died as, an, as, a, as a young adult, I, would, I mean, if you still have contact with their parents, go ahead and continue to talk with them and tell them how much you too miss your friend. A number of years ago, I, I had a had a friend named Amy who died in a car accident. Um, I was on a mission trip whenever Amy died. She, she had been a good friend of mine for, for years and years and years. In fact, in fact, Amy was the very first person that I ever, bright, that I ever witnessed to, and, and she actually came to faith in Christ because I witnessed to her. We were in the seventh and eighth grades, and, and um, she became my girlfriend for about a week. And uh, in one of the notes that I passed her between classes, I asked her about her faith. And uh, she began, she attended church, and she began to ask her preacher about faith. And, and because she began to ask those questions, it was just a couple of weeks later, um, even though we weren't girlfriend and boyfriend anymore, but it was oh, just a couple of weeks later uh, that she came to faith in Christ herself, and she was later baptized. Well, when I was in my uh, late 20s, I was on a mission trip, and I got a call when I was in Puerto Rico that Amy had died in a car wreck, and I was unable, I was unable to come back to the funeral, and, and that's been um, over 20 years ago since Amy has died, and I've never, I've never been to I've never been to her graveside, 
Um, and I've lost track of her parents just a bit, but I have friends that, that talk to her parents, and uh, I do have contact, however, with her, uh, with her husband. And, um, and from time to time, I'll connect with him on Facebook, and, and uh, we'll talk about Amy. And uh, that's, those things are so very important. Again, I, w- I would encourage you to continue to talk with your friends and, and family members about that deceased loved one. I would, I would also encourage you to, to simply show kindness. Say that you're sorry. Say, tell them how sorry you are for their heartache and, and their pain. Give them a hug. Show them kindness. Be with them. They'll likely not remember anything that you say unless you, unless you say one of the things that I've already mentioned. Uh, and so you don't have to have the right words to say. They will not remember what you said, but they will remember that you were there. I'll never forget, Amy and I will never forget the friends when we were in seminary and we had a, we had a death in our family. And we'll never forget those who came by and dropped off a casserole. Uh, we got so tired of eating lasagna <laughs> over the next two or three weeks, but that was fine. We will never forget all of those, all of those couples that stopped by and, and gave us a hug. Remember, they'll, they'll, they'll remember that you, that you were there. You know, many of us think that the, that the divorce rate of those who have experienced the death of a child is much higher than the general population. The general population, the divorce rate is right around 50%, give or take a few percentage points. It, it varies from, from year to year. But actually, the divorce rate among, among couples who have lost a loved one or have, have had a child that has died is only 16%. I was astounded whenever I, I saw that. There was a, uh, there was a survey in 2000, 2006 that showed that the divorce rate is only 16% of those who have uh, lost a child. What I found is that the reason it's so low is that the husband and wife, they learn, uh, they have to rely upon one another. They have to rely upon one another, and it brings them closer to one another. No doubt they'll, they'll struggle uh, they will feel jealousy when they, other, when they see other children. They will, they will come to despise Mother's Day and Father's Day. They'll have feelings of guilt, if, especially if that child was a special needs child, because, because secretly there were, there were feelings of relief after the child died because they saw the suffering of their child and, and the financial strain that it was putting on their family and the stress on everyone because of the amount of care it took while the child was alive. No doubt when a child dies, there is an intense amount of complications that arise in, in, the, family, uh, in the family. There are many of the survivors, again, have guilt because of things that were unsaid. They weren't able to say those four things. I would also encourage you to just simply... To just simply say and help them to understand that their child is with God. A child is with God. In our understanding, in the Wesleyan understanding of, of redemption, we believe that God's prevenient grace covers children. 
And we take the words of, of Jesus very seriously in, in Matthew chapters 18 and 19. Unless you change and become like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let the children come to me, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. That child is in the hands of a loving God, not in the hands of an angry God, not in the hands of a, of a vengeful God. No, that child is in the hands of a loving father. And there's no greater news than that. And so I would just, I would just simply leave you with these words today. And I want to remind you that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate you or your children or your grandchildren from the love of God through Jesus Christ. Neither death, nor life, nor persecution, nor famine, nor nakedness, nor peril, or sword. No, none of these things will be able to separate you and your children and your grandchildren and your friends from the very love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So have hope. Have hope in the resurrection, even the resurrection of these precious children who have gone before us these precious teenagers that have gone before us, these precious young adults who have gone before us, the love of God is upon them and upon you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would you bow with me? Oh God, we thank you for the great love that we have found in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. For you are always, always with us and with our loved ones. Oh God, comfort us. Comfort us in our loneliness. Be with us in our mourning. Bring healing upon our hearts and into our families. No, God, touch the memories and heal the memories that have been touched this morning. Come and do your work in our midst. Oh, Lord, we pray through Christ. Amen.